Amen. You guys can be seated. I want to jump in with a question to get us started this morning. Um, not going to spend a lot of time getting kind of acclimated to this morning. I uh, just want to jump into this question. Do something that I was thinking about over the last week. Do I still believe and do I believe that God can still work a miracle in the life of people that are far from God? Do I believe that God can still work miracles in people that are far from God? Do I still believe that God draws people to himself that are far from himself? Does he still do miracles? Does he still draw people to himself in in miraculous ways? So I just want to turn that, instead of asking it just to me, do, do you believe? The majority of us in this room are followers of Christ. I have no doubt in that. There are those in here that are investigating that, maybe examining that, trying to figure that out. But those of us who've trusted in Christ, do we still believe that God works miracles to draw people to himself? Now, I imagine if I ask you to raise your hand and give me an answer, yes or no, we would say yes. Yes, pastor, I mean... It's a good church answer. It's church, right? I can't say no in church to that. It's got to be a yes. So logically, as I was thinking about Easter, and as I was starting to plan and prepare for Easter, I thought, if the answer is yes, that he still performs miracles to draw people to himself, then am I communicating the greatest miracle of all to people who need to hear it? So if I believe that God still works miracles, am I communicating the greatest miracle? So if we desire for people that we love to experience a miracle, then we must communicate the miracle of Jesus. I know that sounds overly simplistic, but if if we truly believe that people that we love, and we want people that we love, we desire for people that we love to experience the miracle and the grace of Jesus, then we, because we believe it, then we must be communicating the miracle of Jesus Christ. And the greatest miracle that we get to celebrate happens, we celebrate it two weeks from today. It's Easter, right? In case you didn't know that, Easter is two weeks uh, from today. Uh, we're going to celebrate that all weekend that weekend. On Saturday evening, we'll, we'll add a service on that weekend on Saturday at 6 p.m. Um, then Sunday, we'll have our normal times in these rooms that we normally have them in. The biggest difference for Easter weekend for us, if you're inviting someone and you're preparing someone to come, is we have preschool ministry for all four of those services, but we don't have any other ministries going on um, that weekend because we want as many of our volunteers as possible to be able to come to worship on Easter. And a lot of our volunteers are traveling for Easter and all those type of things. And so uh, we just want to take aim and say, man, as many people as possible, um, Saturday at 6 p.m. in this room, and then Sunday, the same schedule. And so here's, here's what I want us to do. I want us to prepare for Easter. I want us to prepare logistically that you figure out which service you're going to come to, yes, but I also want you to prepare spiritually for inviting someone into your life that may lead to you inviting them to join you for Easter. And my guess is the person's already in your life. My guess is it's already somebody that you love, somebody that you care about, somebody that you've invested in, somebody that's simply a part of your family or your coworkers that God's already brought into your life. You don't have to go out and find somebody new. There's, there's somebody in your life who is far from the Lord 
distant from a relationship with Jesus Christ, that if we believe that God still works miracles, then we need to do and be the voice of the miracle. I want to show you a miracle that took place in Scripture this morning. It's not a miracle that many of us would say we normally think of as a miracle. And the miracles we think of when Jesus gave sight to the blind or gave hearing to the deaf, obviously those are miracles. But today, I want us to look at what happens when Jesus sits down and has a conversation and has a relationship with someone that people in that day would have said they are unreachable. They are simply too far for God to reach. Now, uh, as I've lived in this world for 47 years, all right, for 47 years, there's been moments in my life where I've heard or I have said or I have thought, man, the only way that God is going to reach them is a miracle. You've said it, right? The only way that God's ever going to reach them is a miracle or they are so far from God, they're going to have to hit rock what? Rock bottom before they'll ever turn their lives to Christ. i got to be careful that when I make those statements, I don't put those people aside as if God can't do a miracle. i got to be careful when I make those statements that I'm not, in my mind, putting them over here going, well, God's going to work in these folks. They're kind of close to the Lord. They're, they're thinking about it. They're considering it. That I don't create another class of people that we would deem as unreachable. Because all of us need a miracle from Jesus. In Luke chapter 19, we're going to see a relationship that some of you are familiar with. It's a relationship that Jesus is going to have. He's going to walk into this city called Jericho. And this is a significant city, but it's also a significant moment in the life of Jesus. We'll be in Luke 19 this Sunday and and next Sunday. But at the beginning of Luke chapter 19, Jesus is beginning to make his trek from a northern type region down into Jerusalem. Now, why is that important? Because in Jerusalem, where he's going to end his life in the death and the resurrection and then come back to life in the resurrection that we're going to celebrate two weeks from now, that's all going to take place in Jerusalem. And so he's going to move his way down, and as he's going, he's going to have conversations with people. He's going to have divine appointments with people. And one of those happens in a town called Jericho. It's a significant city historically. Uh, it's a significant city uh, as far as the culture of the day and of history. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way where he will soon become the sacrifice for the payment of sins. Yet on his way, he's going to have a very vivid, very greatly depicted conversation for us with a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, some of you learned the song. I'm not going to sing it today. I've tried it before and it fails miserably, all right? But I want to read a few of these verses. And I want us to see what, what does Jesus do with somebody that culture says, this guy is too far. He's despicable. He's sinful. He's He's taken advantage of everybody. He's unreachable. He needs a miracle. He's going to have to hit rock bottom, right? Let's look at the conversation and the relationship Jesus has with this guy named Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector 
and he was rich. I, I looked this up and studied it a little bit. It means loaded, okay? Rich, wealthy. However you translate rich, put an exclamation point on it. This guy had lots of wealth and possessions. And he was seeking to see Jesus, who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was of small stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. None of his neighbors wanted to talk to him. None of his people around him in Jericho wanted to hang out at his house. We are unsure exactly how Zacchaeus heard about Jesus. He may have heard from the situation that one of Jesus' disciples was also a previous tax collector. We're, we're not real sure exactly how he heard of Jesus. Maybe it was the miracles he had heard in other towns. And here comes Jesus. He's coming to our town. Word on the street is, here he comes. Whatever he has heard about Jesus, think about this. Whatever the reasoning is, think about this. A wealthy, rich man climbed up into a tree like a child to see somebody he had never met. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about how maybe humiliating that might have been for Zacchaeus? How much he really wanted to see this? This guy had what society would say, he was despicable, but man, he had all the wealth. And he says, man, I got to see this Jesus. I'll climb up in it. I'll do whatever I got to do. I'll climb up in a tree. Adults, when's the last time you climbed up in a tree? Right? It's not very often, is it? When you're a kid, you climb up a tree because it's what you do. When you're an adult, you go, eh, I don't think I should do that. It's not a good idea anymore. Whatever he had heard about Jesus was so empowering so mentally full with one filled with wonder that he said i at least got to get a glimpse jesus is on his way to jerusalem and he comes into town and scripture says jesus speaks to zacchaeus in verse 5 he says for i must stay at your house not i'd like to or i need to there's another time when jesus says i must when jesus is traveling with the disciples and he's going through a certain region and he goes and he has a conversation with a woman at the well he says i must go this direction so this is not happenstance for jesus this is a divine appointment that jesus has with zacchaeus although this guy has no clue what's about to happen this is not random this is not happenstance. This is, there's a guy who is far from the Lord up in the tree, and there's a Messiah walking by. And he must, must go to his house. Jesus is essentially saying, I have an appointment at your home, let's go. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Think about the crowd that is there. Zacchaeus, the greedy tax collector. Man, he's excited, right? 
I'm not totally sure what this guy's about, but he just said to call me by name and said, let's go to my house, let's go. But then you have the crowd that previously were following him from town to town to town, watching him perform miracles. Some of the same crowd, no doubt, that would go later on in chapter 19 and declare him to be Lord are grumbling. You know how to grumble. I know how to grumble. I've grumbled when somebody cuts in front of me in a line. What do they think they're doing? I don't know who they think they are. I've been waiting here just as long as they have. In fact, longer. I'm going to go up there and give them a piece of my mind. Right? Nobody else? Just me? I'm pretty sure. Maybe this is is more fitting. When the preacher says, hey, I'd like you all to raise your hand and answer this question in church. There's about a hundred of you in this room who go, oh, I'm not raising my hand. That's called grumbling. You know how to do it, right? See, you know how to grumble. And listen, think about this. The people that were watching, you had Pharisees, religious people who knew all the rules, who want to see Jesus get tripped up on something and see what exactly is going on. You've got people who had seen him perform miracles, maybe people who had experienced miracles, people were hoping to experience miracles, and man, they're following Jesus. They're going through towns. They're going, what in the world is he doing? Doesn't he know that that guy in our culture is unreachable? Doesn't he know that by going to his house, people are going to start to talk? Doesn't he know that until that guy hits rock bottom, there's no way he's coming to the Lord? What is he doing going to the house of a sinner? There's so much work to be done. There's so many miracles. Jesus, look around. There's so many people following you. They just need you to touch them. They need you to heal them, and you're going to go to his house? He becomes a dinner guest, but he becomes so much more. He is going to become Zacchaeus' savior. And he is going to radically change his life. In the side notes of my, my Bible this week, as I was preparing, I wrote, repentance leads to radical restoration. Repentance is going to lead this guy to radical restoration. Changing his life through the grace of Jesus Christ is going to lead him to do something absolutely radical. So let's pause here, though, for a moment and think about people that we have relationships with that we would say they're far from the Lord. Who do we think is unreachable? Who have we thought in our minds? I've tried, I've had conversations, I've been praying for, I've been pursuing... If you're not sure about who that is, let me ask you this way. If, if Jesus were to walk in the room or walk into town or walk into your workplace, who would it be in your family or in your friends if he tapped them on the shoulder and went to their house that it would upset you? I just, I'd like to have lunch with Jesus. Why is he going with them? They, they have lots of tattoos. I know some of you do too. It's okay. Uh, they, they haven't been to church in six years. They've never been to church. The list could go on. 
For me, it does. By unreachable, I'm talking about those that we equate their sinful actions. And we say, man, until they hit rock bottom, until God has to do a miracle in their life to reach them. This guy had stolen money from the poor, money from the wealthy. He'd made their money his own. And Jesus knew he needed a miracle. But here's what we all need to recognize this morning. He, Zacchaeus, must have recognized his sinfulness and be introduced to Jesus and be shown the love and mercy of Jesus in his home. What is scandalous about this passage is not simply Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house, but that the grace of God was offered to Zacchaeus. What is scandalous about the story of Easter is that a God who is holy offered his son, Jesus Christ, as a payment for your sins and my sins and Zacchaeus' sins and said, why don't you come in and sit down? Let's have lunch. Let's recognize something today. Scripture says in Romans chapter 3, verse 22, the end of verse 22, going through verse 25, it says, For there is no, what does that say? Distinction. There's no difference. There's no wealthy, poor. There's no unreachable, reachable. There's no churchgoer, non-churchgoer. There's no religious background, non-religious background. There's no, they have a lot of this, and I have less of this. There is no distinction, and there's no distinction in what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption of that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a a source of forgiveness by His blood to be received by faith. If we want the people that we love to experience a miracle, then we have to communicate the miracle of Jesus Christ to them. Here's what convicted me this week. Just to be honest with you, here's what convicted me this week. While they were grumbling, Jesus was leading to repentance. Think about that. While they were outside the house grumbling, I can't believe he's in there. I can't believe he's having dinner with him. I can't believe he and his disciples went in there. I can't believe he's out here performing miracles. I can't believe that the preacher preached for 35 minutes. I can't believe that my seat was cold. I can't believe that I spilled my coffee. I can't believe while we are grumbling, please know this, that God is still leading people in this room this morning to repentance. And while not everything goes our way, and while not everything shifts the way and the current and the hopes that we would have, maybe even for a Sunday morning, they didn't sing my song, man. I really needed that song this morning. He is still leading people to repentance. Jesus didn't stop proclaiming his greatness when he went into the house, he performed a miracle. 
Now, Zacchaeus didn't come out, have previously not been able to walk, walking. Where the greatest sin took place in his life is where the greatest movement of God took place. For Zacchaeus, where the greatest moment and the greatest weakness, the greatest sinful area of his life took place, that's where God moved in his life. Fast forward to 2019, Zacchaeus is is struggling with how to handle his money and he's taking advantage of people. God says, hey, why don't you go back out and let me and my grace impact you in the area that you have your greatest failure. Let me flip this upside down. You see the beauty of this? He doesn't tell Zacchaeus. He doesn't say to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, if you'll just go around and tell everybody that I love him. Zacchaeus, if you would go around and tell everybody to obey the law, that's not Zacchaeus's past, is it? That's not his sin. That's not what got him considered unreachable or out there or needing a miracle. What got him there was his quest for greed and wealth. And so when he meets Jesus, the greatest, where the greatest sin took place in his life is where the greatest movement of God took place. And you know what? In this room, I believe that can still take place today. Where some of us have not moved away from some lies in our heart, things that are anchored deep in our hearts and deep in our lives, the God of creation, the God of salvation, where the greatest sins are taking place in your life is where I believe the greatest move of God can still take place in yours and mine. A miracle can still take place. It happened to the woman at the well. It happened to other folks in Scripture. And so Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, so here's his response. We don't know exactly what Jesus said to him. We don't know how it all went down inside. But you don't need to because you're going to see that repentance led to restoration. Repentance led to hope. We're going to see that. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold i'm gonna go broke i'm gonna be humanly poor because the grace of god has showed me my greatest sin and my greatest area of weakness is the very area that i need to restore you see this he said i'm gonna give half of it to the poor and i'm gonna give fourfold back And then Jesus makes a proclamation that if the people outside weren't grumbling enough, and we don't have a lot of time to dig into this, he says, today salvation has come to this house. Since he, Zacchaeus, also is a son of Abraham. Now, if you were Jewish and you were living in this time period, and he just declared that Zacchaeus was equal to Abraham, oh man, let me tell you, talk was happening. He just equated salvation that Zacchaeus experienced inside this house with the father of Israel. Oh, buddy. If Jesus didn't have enemies up to this point, he had them now. If they weren't grumbling before, they were grumbling now. Because how could this guy, this despicable, wayward, government-approved cheater, be anything close to Abraham? Because verse 10 tells us, For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. 
He came to seek and save the lost. And Zacchaeus is one of them. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The miracle of repentance and forgiveness that we see take place here, the miracle of forgiveness produces the miracle of restoration, the miracle of hope, the miracle of new life. So see, where I want you to think about this next few weeks is to be very vulnerable before the Lord and say, God, who is it that I have previously declared as unreachable, that I would have said I would have thought of in the same category as Zacchaeus, and then begin believing that God can still work miracles to draw that person to himself and offer them the same grace and mercy that he offered you, because there's no distinction, church. There's no difference. For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and we all need forgiveness. I love how John Piper retold this story. It's a little bit of a dialogue. I'll try to be clear that you can stick with me this morning. It starts off with a young Jewish boy going to his front door because somebody knocked at his door and he answers. He says, Dad, there's a man at the door. He said his name is Zacchaeus. The father replies, Zacchaeus, what does he want? The child moved, the, the, the father moved past his daughter, clenching his jaw. If this weasel even hints at more money, I swear a thunderstorm of violence is going to come upon him. So when he saw Zacchaeus, he said, what do you want? Zacchaeus says, I'm here to return something to you. What do you mean? Zacchaeus held out a small money bag. The father was suspiciously confused. The man had robbed half of Jericho collecting taxes. No one was more convincing and slippery with his words. This had to be a setup. What are you doing, Zacchaeus? I'm restoring what's broken. The father, fiery glare, stood in bewilderment. What are you talking about? He called him by name, Zacchaeus. He says, Judah, I I know how strange this must sound, and you have every reason not to trust me. I'm here because I defrauded you. I've charged you more taxes than Rome required, and I kept them for my wicked self. But now I've come to ask for your forgiveness for sinning against you like that and to make restitution. What's in the bag is for you. Zacchaeus held it out again. This time he took it tentatively, and he looked inside, and he said, there's, there's a lot more in here. He says, yes, it's four times what I overcharged you. I've got all the records. Yes, I'm sure you do. Why are you giving me four times what you owe me? He said, I'm keeping a vow. I promised Jesus I would repay everybody fourfold. You mean Jesus, the rabbi? How do you know him? Well, he's in town, you know, and the other day I got a glimpse of him and I'm kind of short, so I climbed up in the tree to see him, and he asked me to have dinner with him. I know. I was shocked as everybody else. His disciples came to my house, and in a matter of minutes, 
minutes, my world fell apart. But in a matter of moments, my world began to come back together. What do you mean it fell apart and it came back together? He said, as I sat in my home with Jesus and his disciples who had nothing, I've never seen happier, more fulfilled people in all my life. And as Jesus spoke, it was like words he said were alive. My heart was burning, longing for God in a way that I've never felt before. And my world just fell apart. And he put it back together. You guys, Easter's coming. And it's important. Easter's coming, and in two weeks, we will stand in this room and we'll celebrate with hands raised the miracle of Jesus that has worked in our lives. But that same miracle worked in Zacchaeus' life, and that same miracle can still work in the lives of people that we say, man, they just need to hit rock bottom. Guess what? There's no distinction between their rock bottom and yours. You have all sinned. And we have all fallen short of the glory of God. So if we desire for people to experience the miracle of Jesus, then we must communicate the miracle of Jesus. If we believe the moments of Zacchaeus, if we believe the moments of the death and resurrection of Jesus, if we believe the moments in the resurrection, then we must communicate, as we saw last week, I appeal to you, brothers. So a couple challenges for today. Number one, remember, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. This was from the mouth of Jesus himself. I've come to seek and save the lost. Remember that. Second thing, remember, there is no distinction in our need for a Savior. There is no distinction in our need for a Savior. We have all sinned. Romans 3, 22 through 26. Number three, as we prepare for Easter, who do we love that needs to hear the message of the miracle? of Jesus. And may God convict me of ever in my mind declaring, oh man, they're they're too far. They're too lost. They're too angry. They're, They're too atheistic. They're too agnostic. They're too deep in their sin. Tell that to Zacchaeus. Tell that to me. There is no distinction. I want to ask you to prepare for Easter today by asking, who do you already love that needs to hear the message of the miracle of Jesus?